Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic today. Uh, we have such a great conversation with a friend of old uh, that I think everyone's going to enjoy. And you're looking chipper. You're looking like you got up on the right <laughs> side of the bed. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for asking, Lance. And yes, I'm very excited to speak with our old friend, the one and only Bill Thomas. He hosts a podcast called Mind Over Murder that is on the Crawl Space Media Network, which is our podcast network, Lance. And he is one of the main advocates for the Colonial Parkway murders. And Bill's sister, Kathy Thomas, was a victim of the Colonial Parkway series of murders. And you can check out mindovermurderpodcast.com and see all of the episodes and learn more about Bill and his co-host, Kristen Dilly. And every week they have thoughtful advocacy based conversations about true crime. It's kind of a refreshing change of pace from the typical true crime content that's out there. And Lance, this is going to be broken up into two parts, mainly because we can't sit down with Papa Bill and have it have the recording last for less than an hour. So we kind of knew that going into it. And uh, and we definitely goof off a little bit in the beginning. We talk about CrimeCon 2022, so if you don't want to hear that, you can skip forward, but I do recommend it because it is hilarious to us. You're right. It's a great way to set up the conversation, and it's a good example of the interaction that we have with Bill, where we can have these comedic moments and then slip into these serious moments and then go back to these comedic moments. Uh, he had this moment at CrimeCon that you need to hear about, and that's what we discussed in the beginning, where he was missing. Our other friend, Rebecca Sebastian, who hosts Dialogue and Yellow Tape True Crime Trivia, was very concerned about him, and this incident played out at CrimeCon where Bill Thomas was missing. Uh, thankfully, and obviously, he was found, um, but it all was an incredible moment, and we had to really unpack it here. So I really hope you enjoy listening to Bill Thomas himself describe missing bill thomas <laughs> yeah it is definitely a uh, a humorous uh, part of the conversation so i hope you enjoy this conversation and definitely come back for part two thanks a lot for listening everybody and you can check out bill and Kristen's podcast mind over murder wherever you get your podcasts Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. of the earth we made this curse carved it in the blood on our backs we did not see we could not but she did and in the end what will i become senwa saga hellblade 2 play it now with game pass Welcome, Bill Thomas, back to the podcast. How are you today, Bill? I am good. The only small regret I have is that we're not all together in the commodious Crawl Space Studios in Worcester. Fabulous Worcester, I should probably say. But I think we'll use this electronic gizmo to work around it. So I'm doing great and very excited to see the two of you and i see that uh, lance is already at the ballpark i know guys i i look at look we thought it was going to rain we thought it was going to be cold and miserable which is why we postponed our rendezvous to uh go to polar park in worcester to check out the woo socks um but it, the, it cleared up and you guys didn't get my text messages i guess i'm here i'm at the park <laughs> yeah. look around wow. it's a beautiful day you've got great service for the benefit of your worldwide listeners, perhaps we should explain what a WooSock is. A WooSock <laughs> is the is it the double A affiliate of the Boston Red Sox? The Worcester Red Triple Sox. Triple A. Triple A? Really? Triple A. Yeah. They moved from Pawtucket and they were the Paw Sox there. And then so they're kind of keeping with that same format oh. here in Worcester. The Woo Sox. Yeah. 
I get the sea dogs and the uh, paw socks confused with the uh, the number of A's in front of them. Because <laughs> I think I think the Portland Sea Dogs are double A. But hey, yeah, I potato, think so. potato. Are the Sea Dogs a Red Sox farm team also? Yes. Got it. But these guys actually use the Sox name as opposed to, you know, calling themselves the the, the Wormtown Turners or whatever. <laughs> right, right. The, the, <laughs> the Worcester Worms. Worm socks. <laughs> Yeah, that would just be one be. sock, one big sock on it. That doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> no, you could take it a number of ways. <laughs> so somehow we got it into our heads that we were going to, first of all, we were going to meet for a baseball game. We were going to record at Crawl Space Studios, then go to a ball game. It really sounded like a perfect day. Really? And then the weather began to threaten. And so we pulled the plug on the baseball game except for Lance, who's determined to see this game in Woo! person. And he, he's at Polar Park, and Tim and I have failed to appear. <laughs> two hours early. I'm two hours early. I'm here, for, I'm here for all the events that they have on the field before the game. Right. <laughs> so, Bill Thomas, welcome back to the show. It's been a while. We just saw you in person recently at CrimeCon 2022 in Las Vegas. How did, well, uh, all how did that go for you? All of minutes. <laughs> I know, right? Tim and I were lamenting last night while preparing for this podcast. Believe it or not, we actually prepare for these things. <laughs> that we saw each other at CrimeCon, but somehow Kristen Dilly and I felt like we'd been shot out of a cannon. And CrimeCon was so crazy and so busy, and there were so many people there that we barely feel like we had a handle on all the stuff that was going on. It was just absolutely insane. And I felt like every conversation I had with the two of you and other people was about three to five minutes in duration. And, and it was only once, you know, like, Hey, how you doing? We'll get together. And then it never happened. I mean, it would have happened if you didn't go missing for seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> I did not go missing. <laughs> that's, that's not what Rebecca Sebastian said. Oh gosh. I sort of forgot about that. No, you didn't. Oh, <laughs> Until you mentioned it, I had sort of put it out of my mind. <laughs> Rebecca was two minutes away from getting a, a wellness check. I couldn't tell whether it was Rebecca's true crime background or the fact that she's a mom or that she's absolutely just freaking hysterical. But she decided somehow because we hadn't connected in a ballroom with a thousand other people. I mean, literally a thousand other people that I had somehow gone missing. And being the polite dinner guest that I was, I'm sitting there talking to the other people at the table, not checking my phone. And she's literally blowing up my phone going, where are you? I can't find you. And then that somehow segued into you've been kidnapped or something. Well, that was just one theory that was thrown out there anyway. Yeah. And there were others. So... They're I was there the entire time. We just were in at different tables. It was a it was the first time they've had this. Uh, you're deflecting. You're deflecting. <laughs> you're deflecting. <laughs> there, you, you're, you're, you're leaving out so many nuances of the story. First, oh, you were supposed right. to meet you were supposed to meet Rebecca at a certain time, which you didn't. You, you no, you, no, no. You, that was no. That's not true. No, let no. Wait. Now I have to rise to my own defense here, gentlemen. I wasn't supposed to meet her at a certain time. She texted me and said she did not have a ticket for this uh, first time ever crime con media awards event, the Clue Awards. I did not know she didn't have a ticket. No, so, okay, so we need to, since we're dishing dirt here. Yeah, let's, let's unpack this. Let's <laughs> fully get, unpack this. We need, to get down, we need to get down in the dirt here. She did not have a ticket. Kristen Dilly and I both had tickets to attend the Clue Awards, and I had been a judge for True Crime Podcasts. What a surprise. <laughs> so, well, as opposed to other things. So... I received a text from Ms. Sebastian. We'll, we'll go formal here. And <laughs> she had said she didn't have a ticket. 
And she felt kind of bad about that. And I said, oh, well, Kristen was kind of just exhausted and had said, you know, would you mind if I sat this one out? And I said, we have an extra ticket for the event. Why don't you go as Kristen Dilly? She said, that would be great. Now, we never had an appointment to meet. I just said, use Kristen's name. Now, when we went into the event, which was very, very successful, and I'm not kidding, there were like a thousand people there. They had this giant ballroom all set up with round tables. And it was very difficult to figure out where you were supposed to be seated because the tables had numbers on them, but none of us were assigned or most of us were not assigned to a particular table. So you were kind of winging it. So in my mind, I had handed off Kristen's ticket to Rebecca and, you know, I, I hoped to see her there, but I didn't know what table I was going to end up being seated at and neither did she. So somehow in her mind, because we didn't connect, that meant I had been kidnapped by aliens or something. When the truth is, I was just sitting down front watching the event. <laughs> I like uh, all of that. All of that was great. All of that was great. A great defense. Um, my favorite part is how at the end you say it, it, it meant that you were kidnapped by aliens. I wish we had Rebecca on because she was worried and she did not think that you were kidnapped by aliens. She was legit. Like, should we go kick his door down? Like what the hell would have happened to me? <laughs> I was surrounded by law enforcement people, investigators, forensics experts, and 5,000 of our fellow true crime aficionados. What the hell would happen to me at this, you know, major event? Let me let me turn that around and say all of those people were around and, and Rebe all Rebecca knew was that no one saw you, which made it even more mysterious for her. Well, and then what ended up happening was she at some point she reached out uh, to David Middleman from Othram. Oh, yeah, this is super confusing. Dave, David was sitting <laughs> sitting next to me and at their table. He had said, oh, come sit with us. So I did. And. He said, he thought it was a joke. He was like, well, you know, he's sitting right here. <laughs> Ex explain this a little more because I tried to explain this uh, not, on an, not on an episode uh, and it was a little confusing. Well, it was a little confusing to live it. <laughs> David was like, why are they looking for you? And at this point now, Kristen Dilly, who was in her hotel room has <laughs> joined some sort of I was about to say half-assed but I won't say half-assed <laughs> she has joined the search for me like in the lobby bar in her sweats you know like her lounge <laughs> pajamas I was gonna say pajamas you know at this point, they've got it into their heads that I'm missing. Bill, where are you kind of thing? And I'm like sitting there. This, the show is going on and it's categories that I'm interested in. And, you know, I want to see who got nominated, who's going to win, all that stuff. And so in the middle of all this, David's like, Kristen's looking for you. He thinks they're talking about Kristen Middleman, his wife and partner in Othram Labs. I love this. I, I love sitting, this. Sitting one seat further over next to Paul Holes. And so she's engaged in conversation with Paul. David and I are shooting the BS on, on our side. And there's a bunch of other people at the table. It was really fun. And he thinks, why is Kristen Middleman, who's sitting to his left, looking for me while I'm sitting to his right? Now, <laughs> Kristen Middleman and Kristen Dilly, my podcast partner, spell their names differently but nonetheless he thinks someone's spoofing him because he's like why am i looking for bill thomas he's right here <laughs> he's not he's not hiding i'm talking to the guy at this moment and so like we lean in for a selfie so he can send proof of life that you know <laughs> they actually have me and aren't going to give me back apparently and so he thinks the whole thing is a joke, which it it was sort of. 
And somehow Rebecca gets completely torqued up thinking because I'm not responding because I'm not looking at my phone, she, that I'm dead. (laughs) And then somehow she convinces Kristen Dilly to who's, you know, got a headache and is lying in a room to come down to the lobby bar in her pajamas to look for me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I need to feel defensive. I didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) I don't know, Bill. I don't know. It seems like you might have. I know that uh, you've caused a panic between your friends. You got to let people know where you're going at all times. When we when we walked down, we walked by Rebecca. Uh, she she was genuinely nervous sitting sitting there, like uh, um, sort of trying to get a hold of you. <laughs> and Shiloh was there, and she's and they're like, "Have you seen Bill?" We're like, "No." You know, we just got, I think we just got back to the building for uh, for dinner or whatever. Um, but uh, so you know, we hadn't seen anyone. Um, but my theory was that you were you were just gambling somewhere. That was that was my theory. But there yeah. were other theories that were floated out there. Yeah, some of them were salacious and some of them weren't. <laughs> you know, heck, uh, maybe it would have been more fun if <laughs> I'd actually been involved in salacious activity as opposed to sitting there and watching the show. So by the time after the event is over and we get to the, there's always a big hang in the lobby bar. And although I am not a big drinker and one of you bought me a Diet Coke, that night i think it was uh, tim in this example thank you for that and if it was lance i forgive me the diet coke went to my head (laughs) but i'm not a big drinker but i did want to see the other podcasters and all the other folks in the lobby bar and so we went there and of course by the i'm just going around and saying hey to folks because again you it was so crazy and crime crime was so successful that you hardly had a chance to interact with all the people in the true crime space by this point, a number of people are aware of the fact that I've been missing <laughs> and they're, they're wondering where I am. Well, of course, now I reappear and, and then everybody wants to know the backstory about where have you been for the last few hours <laughs> when I've been sitting in the ballroom in the same room with Rebecca Sebastian, by the way, she just couldn't find me. Well, it was a very uh, layered and truly mysterious uh, disappearance that I'm glad everyone came together and, and, you know, solved it. So chalk one up for the good guys on that. And uh, you came out of it in one piece, healthy, little, yes. little, little, little confused as to what the uh, emergency was. But well, and yeah, exactly. And, you know, we I know we like missing persons cases when they have a happy ending. And I think this is a story with a happy ending. And. Oh, I, I think we did have a discussion in the bar, as I recall, about about aliens and probes and other, you know, some of the unfortunate aspects of of my uh, disappearance into another dimension for a couple of hours. <laughs> Apparently, I was the only one in the room actually watching and listening to the presentations <laughs> and not checking their phone. Yeah. Um well, I'm really glad we we fully unpacked this here on the air. This yeah, was, really. Uh, this is a good. I think it was like it was ninety percent <laughs> unpacked. I still think that there's something else going on, but we'll uh, we'll get to that. Okay, well, we have to maybe get a later Rebecca's day. take. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. To, to fully unpack it, I suppose yeah. we need Rebecca here, uh, but we can get her take later, and then maybe it can be fully unfurled. Um, Rebecca, Kristen, oh. Dilly, um, Doctor Shiloh, Shiloh, we'll, yeah. We'll sprinkle her realize, in there a little bit. I didn't realize Doctor Shiloh was involved. <laughs> Jim Clemente. No, now you're talking about real trained FBI professionals. Yeah. Profiler agent. We texted know. Art Roderick. He was very concerned too. Yeah. <laughs> we we texted uh the Oxygen Network. They were already in pre-production on a six-part series. Yeah, six-part series, which they're going to cut down to four parts. They do that every single time. <laughs> They'll cut down to four parts and then oh, you yeah. even then you'll be like, "Why is this four episodes? This could have been like a half hour." As the story gets less and less interesting. <laughs> In fairness, I think Sh- Shiloh shared my theory that uh, that you were off gambling. Um, I don't. I don't think we even knew that the awards show was like a thing at that moment. Like that it was even well, happening. Was, that you would have. This was the know. first year, and and you know there were 
5,000 plus people at CrimeCon, but not everybody went to the awards show because that was yeah. a only you know, the a elite separate thing. <laughs> <laughs> you guys could have judged podcasts too. How did no, that we, happen? Yeah, they, we get judged. They, they just yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they, uh, they just reached out to me and said, "Would I be willing to be a judge?" And I said, "Sure." And then you know, the only thing they ask you to do is, for instance, not judge uh, podcasts of people you know. So, for example, I would have. Uh, you know, sat sat one out if they had asked me to to talk about you guys, for example. Well, that's that's a complete betrayal. You should have written us in, Bill. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, if if money had changed hands, it wouldn't have been a problem. What do you think the Woo Sox tickets were? <laughs> oh, that's not the bribery. I yeah. forgot about Gotta be that. subtle about these things. <laughs> you know, in terms of the media coverage of my missing persons case, I, <laughs> I felt like the discovery of that uh, barrel in Lake Mead where the water levels had dropped down and they, right. discovered, yeah, yeah. they discovered a barrel and then the passerby went over to look at it and looked inside and there were clothes and bones and it looks like it's a mafia hit from the 1980s. I think that story kind of pushed my missing person story right out of most of the Nevada, Las Vegas media, which is kind of unfortunate, but maybe okay for me because that way I didn't have to answer any more questions about exactly what I was. Doing. I see. You're saying that you're saying that that overshadowed your disappearance. Yeah, in the media in media's coverage. I don't. I don't want to make it sound like I'm disappointed or anything like that because maybe I didn't want to answer any more questions about where I'd been for two or three hours. It would have been nice though. It would have been great for your show. Yeah, I guess so. Although you know, Kristen refused to have any pictures taken of herself in her pajamas in the lobby <laughs> bar, and that would have been a fun element as well. Kristen's theory was that you were the guy in the barrel in Lake Mead. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't have yeah. that. That, that would be too spooky. <laughs> Jim scary. Clemente's theory was that you dumped the body. <laughs> yeah, that's, the actually, that, that's where you were. That sounds like something Jim would say. <laughs> <laughs> I think when um, when we were talking with him and you walked by, you got you the two of you exchanged um, pleasantries. Yes. And I, I had said... Like five minutes ago, the cops were ready to look for this guy, meaning you, because you were missing. And Jim Clemente said, oh, the cops should have been looking for this guy years ago. <laughs> Jim and I have spent a lot of time together. He knows a lot of the, the backstory. Well, I, I'll, all I got to say is the plot thickens. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing is, if you have Rebecca Sebastian on again, and I hope that you will, I would like to be able to respond to any... <laughs> false accusations or loose talk about loose talk. where I was and what I was doing when I was innocently sitting there eating my chicken. I think it was. <laughs> they, there's no way they served Bill Thomas chicken. I think it was chicken, fish, or, or um, roast beast. I, you know, I, I, it was one of the three. Okay, Dr. Seuss. You had your own, like, personal, like... Steak tartare with a quail egg. <laughs> Some caviar. Yeah. Caviar. No, that, was, that was Paul Holes who was sitting two seats to my left. <laughs> and we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Well, Bill, we mentioned your co-host, Kristen Dilly. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, Mind Over Murder? Well, let's see. I mean, a lot has happened um, after you guys talked me into doing this podcast <laughs> <laughs> two and a half years ago. And then I had said to Kristen, um, I'll do a podcast if you do a podcast. Um, <laughs> we've been at this now for two and a half years. I'm working on episode 165. 
um, as we speak. And um, as a matter of fact, this most recent episode is uh, Citizen Sleuth's Tips and How We Handle Tips That People Approach Us About Regarding the Colonial Parkway Murders. And so we're doing a two-parter about um, how Kristen and I handle tips that we receive in the Colonial Parkway Murders, which of course is my sister's case, and one that we're very close to. Um, It's been a really interesting ride. We get to say we were established before the COVID end times. So we can, you know, indicate that we're early adopters. We're not like every other schmo that decided they were going to do a podcast while they were bored during the pandemic. We decided we were going to do a podcast before the pandemic. So things have been going really well. It's been very interesting and it's been just as much fun and even more work than either one of you guys told me. (laughs) Yeah. It, it is a lot of work, you know, like, you, I mean, I suppose you could run a podcast and not put that much work into it. But if you really want to push it as far as you can, I mean, it is a ton of work. Well, and you guys do multiple podcasts. And and I mean, how many years have you guys been doing it? A hundred. Six hundred. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it, there was like there was Marconi, there was Tesla, and then there was Crawl Space Media. So yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were in that whole Westinghouse uh, era. <laughs> And you were built out on the bluffs there on Cape Cod with Marconi's towers, which I think have since fallen into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. We were, we were, we were built uh, behind the waterfall of Niagara Falls. Wow. We're harnessing yeah. the the energy of the falls. Right, and then <laughs> every once in a while they turn the falls off, which I find fascinating. And there you guys were in the hidden cave behind the yep. falls. That's I when love we, that we, went, we emerged. Yeah. yeah. We were in a crawl space behind. Yeah. There you go. Origin, Sclusi, the origin <laughs> of the name crawl space. You know, for two guys that are several hundred years old, you're both yeah. remarkably well preserved, I have to yeah. say. Tim and I use essential oils. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it. So uh, we're enjoying Mind Over Murder, and it's been a very interesting ride. Well, I don't want to give anything away, but you said your next episode is how you handle tips not only on your sister's um, unsolved case and the Colonial Parkway murders, um, you, you had another one you said, but how do you handle tips? Well, it's funny. We actually try to take them very seriously. This isn't something we anticipated when Kristen and I started working together on the Colonial Parkway murders in her role as a victim's advocate and me as the brother of a murder victim. It's like six or seven years ago. So we've always had people reach out to us, particularly in Virginia, but not necessarily. And they've often been very frustrated with what they see as a lack of forward progress in the Colonial Parkway murders. And so people would end up reaching out to us with information. And then that kind of branched out and people started reaching out to us with information about other unsolved cases to ask us either for I guess advice is part of what they're looking for, how to move a case forward. They, they felt like we were beginning to regain some momentum in the Colonial Parkway murders. And, and you know, we've clearly stepped up the media coverage. And it was pretty clear the FBI and the Virginia State Police were putting more resources than they had for years into the case. And then people wanted to know about that. And then people were very let me back up. People are very frustrated with lack of forward progress in a number of unsolved murders around the country as, as you guys have covered as well. And they don't feel like they get the time, attention and resources from law enforcement that they want. And they end up coming to people like us to ask us questions or even vent a bit about what's happening with a particular case. These are often cases where they're personally invested. This might be a friend or a family member or someone from their community. And they started asking us questions and then they ended up feeding tips to us, which I know has happened with you guys as well. And we didn't anticipate any of this. You send those tips into the FBI, right? But you could probably just just talk to them right on your podcast. It sounds like they li- they listen and um, and you're very aware of that, huh? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it started before we had Mind Over Murder because we had the Facebook page. Um, there's actually multiple Facebook pages now. 
on the Colonial Parkway murders. And, you know, so there was always a lot of social media discussion. But one thing I'm not willing to do is I'm not willing to just pass along a tip to the FBI or the Virginia State Police or whoever the agency is. I actually do my best to research the information that these people have provided. I don't claim to be an investigator. Kristen doesn't either. But we actually first start off with researching who it is that's reaching out to us. Because the FBI has said to me repeatedly, they believe that people that are, were involved in the Colonial Parkway murders actually follow us on social media and listen to the podcast, which is interesting. And they didn't just say it once. They've said it repeatedly. And sometimes I think, you know, are they hinting at something that they know that we don't, but I can't worry about that. But we want to research who it is that's reached out to us. So for instance, you know, Joe Smith reaches out to us, Jane Doe, whatever. I'm actually typically not willing to talk to them until I have a chance to do a little bit of a, a backfill on who is this person. One of the th areas where I think we fall down on in social media in general is, and I'm extremely uncomfortable with people hiding behind um, screen names and avatars and all that stuff. You know, I've written hundreds and hundreds of times on social media about the Colonial Parkway murders. And I basically sign what I write. And, you know, I've written this so many times, I can't count. Bill Thomas, brother of Kathy Thomas, Colonial Parkway murders. And then, particularly several years ago, I would actually often include my email address or even my phone number on social media to let people know that I, that I am who I say I am. And one area where I really do push back, I'm not going to talk to somebody if they're not going to tell me who they are. They can have a screen name if they want, you know, true crime fan or whatever. But I actually want to know who the hell they are before I have a conversation with them. Otherwise, you know, what I'm going to reveal intimate details of what's going on with the Colonial Parkway murders, and I'm not even knowing who it is I'm talking to. Yeah. Yeah, I heard you say that um, recently on your show, and I think it's a great point. And uh, you also mentioned once you find out the person's name or once they tell you, um, then you, you might uh, look into them a little bit before, you know, you're really carry that conversation, which I would also highly recommend. Yeah. I mean, and you end up talking to some very strange people as the two of you know, you know. <laughs> what? And look, there, there are a lot of damaged people out there. And that isn't to say that I'm not willing to talk to them, but I'd still like to know who they are. And it's, I find it fascinating that people want to talk to us about other cases that are completely unrelated to the colonial parkway murders. I'm willing to talk to them about it. It, it. It's amazing how people will go very, very far afield. I mean, I've got a guy now who's sending me information who insists that the Colonial Parkway murders were actually committed by uh, the Zodiac. And there are some similarities between the Colonial Parkway murders and, and Zodiac. And the time, you know, we're talking about a, our case stretches back 35 years. I, I don't usually go down rabbit holes like th that one, but in this case, the guy is a very intelligent, thoughtful, analytical person who wanted to talk to me about this and he didn't come across as a nut. And, you know, we get plenty of people that are out there, but I wouldn't put this guy in that category. His theory might be a little on the edge, but it's very interesting to hear from people literally from all over the country, even now all over the world, who've got ideas about what they think happened in the Colonial Parkway murders or, or other cases. And of course, sometimes that research that we were talking about, Tim, that, that also involves me coming up to speed on whatever it is they're talking about. There's 250,000 cold case homicides in the United States, which I, people are always surprised. When, I know when we bring up that number, but I'm not going to know everything about every unsolved murder um, across the country. There's just not enough hours in the day. But if I am going to have an intelligent conversation with somebody, I am very interested in at least researching 
who it is I'm talking to and what it is they want to talk about. And, you know, before we get into any kind of meaningful dialogue. On that, I'm curious what you say, how you communicate this to somebody who reaches out to you. Like, let's say I have some significant information about one of these cases that you've covered. It doesn't have to be the Colonial Parkway murders, um, but I have something. And I know I have something, but I really don't want you to know my identity. How, how do you convey like your feelings to the person who's reaching out to you? And where do you draw the line where they're just not going to give you their their name or give you a name and you have to make that decision? Hmm, that's a hard one. Well, first of all, I don't think hey, the, you don't get any softballs here. I don't. <laughs> first of all, I don't think people realize how much information is already available about most of us. So, for instance, if you're using almost any kind of modern media, email, text, phone, what have you, there's going to be something attached to that. And so, well, first of all, if someone reaches out to me, I will typically beg off saying that I'm busy, which is usually true. And that asking if I can circle back with them. And most people are willing to do that. So at that point now, I've typically got some way to contact that person. So I've got a phone number, an email address, you know, something like that. I have had people reach out to me that absolutely don't want to be uh, known. And I, I guess it may be just a couple of examples. Did they actually manage to preserve that, that sort of um, anonymity? Yeah. And, and I was th thinking of something like a screen, you know, in, in, in front of their face. Veil. Yeah, the veil. Exactly. <laughs> the veil is, is, is exactly what I'm looking for. But to be frank, I usually still try to figure out who the hell they are, because, I, you know, how do I know this person isn't directly involved in one of these homicides? And they're trying to figure out, you know, what does law enforcement know or what what does um, what do the families know um, at this point? It's very rare that I can think of maybe two or three examples. And I probably talked to I probably talked to hundreds of people by this point because I really put myself out there publicly 12 years ago in 2009 um, in the Colonial Parkway murders and began commenting publicly about it. I, th I can think of maybe only a couple of examples where people actually succeeded in preventing me from knowing who they were. Now, I'd be very uncomfortable, though, going to the FBI, the Virginia State Police, and saying I heard from somebody who wants to stay behind that, that veil because it just seems ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. Honestly, I think it's more than fair. I hope you run background checks, like full background checks. Um, I think you, you were kind of hinting at that. And I just wanted to say it directly that I think you should, um, or family members should before talking to anybody about it, about their loved one's case. I do. But for instance, what do you guys do? You've you've dealt with a lot of unsolved cases and, and um, missing persons cases with a lot of unanswered, unanswered questions. What do you do? Oh, we run background checks all day. Yeah, we oh, I was going to say we proceed recklessly with anything that comes our way. <laughs> <laughs> no, we definitely run a, run a lot of background yeah. um, checks in our in our research. I think you kind of have to. Yeah, if you we run a background checks it's you know like that's the preliminary one and then because of our connection with uh, private investigations for the missing and law enforcement on that end we do have the option to forward that off to somebody who can run a more extensive background search and we don't ask for the specific information because we do try to you know maintain that privacy uh, but if there's any red flags we'll know and if we're not told exactly what the red flag is we'll just know like we shouldn't be covering this I mean, it, it's it's happened before where something, uh, you know, a case came uh, came by the way of private investigations for the missing. And it just there were elements to it that just didn't didn't play into the best interest at the time to cover. Right. Specifically, we were not aware of it. But, yeah, anything that comes our way like that, we, we have access to. I'm just saying we'll find you. We'll find you. <laughs> we'll track you down. Just like what we did to you, Bill. Well, Exactly. <laughs> And for us, by the way, there's kind of two things going on. There's the Mind Over Murder podcast. And then there's our ongoing efforts to push 
the FBI and the Virginia State Police to put resources into the Colonial Parkway murders. And those things overlap, but they are also distinctive. In other words, there are lots of times when I will put dozens of hours into something preparing a write-up for the FBI. And they've actually complimented us, me, on our write-ups because I actually do try to provide as much information as I can about whatever tip it is the person is providing. So in other words, I try to fill in some blanks for them in terms of, you know, dates, times, places, people, that kind of thing. And a lot of that stuff doesn't make the podcast because remember, we got into doing Mind Over Murder to help advance the Colonial Parkway murders. So our number one goal is always actually to advance the cause of the Colonial Parkway murders, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all of that conversation or background or whatever necessarily makes the podcast because I can't talk every single week about, you know, what we're trying to get the FBI to do. I do reference it and we do cover the case, but there's a lot of stuff that's going on that isn't really airworthy or just wouldn't make much sense. And also, quite frankly, the FBI has never responded particularly well to criticism coverage, whatever, of, um, of the Colonial Parkway murders. I've never seen an organization more sensitive to its own media portrayal than the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I think these guys are obsessed with their own myth. Isn't that kind of shocking? I'm always shocked to find out how kind of sensitive um, law enforcement is uh, about, about some of the some of criticism. It is to me. Uh, but, I mean... You know, you got to think about the history of the FBI. Yeah, I was going to say a weird organization. Yeah, right from the right from the jump, it was uh, the, the, one of their main goals was to maintain a positive outward image. It was always it, what was going on behind the scenes wasn't talked about, but it was always like here's the here's the image, the perception of the FBI. I think like Hoover was J Edgar Hoover. Yeah, I think he was like obsessed with that, almost almost as obsessed with that as he was with the individual cases. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've got some years on YouTube guys, but there was a show when we were kids called the FBI, which was actually produced with the cooperation of the federal Bureau of investigation. And there was this guy Ephraim Zimbalist jr. The show was on Sunday nights and my family loved the show. We watched it every single week. And, uh, as a matter of fact, my mom used to say one of, um, Ephraim Zimbalist jr.'s uh, catchphrases was get me a chopper because it, you know, that meant he needed a helicopter. <laughs> and so my mom would say that from time to time, but the show was like built around this whole myth making thing of the, of the, the mighty FBI. And I don't know, they've bought into their own thing. They, I got a tremendous amount of pushback a couple of years ago. I had strongly criticized the bureau and I stand by what I said. Um, which is that this investigation has dragged on for far too long. Now, several more years have passed. And so my point is probably well taken. But they were so furious with me. They actually froze me and all of the other Colonial Parkway murders families out for a year and a half. They refused to speak to us. And they, um, they wouldn't take our phone calls. And they wouldn't reply to texts or emails or whatever for fully 18 months. And then finally, one day I got what I thought was a pretty meaningful tip and uh, wrote it up and sent it in. And then I heard from them and it was like, hey, how's it going? Like, And I thought, oh, I guess we've had a thaw here because after a year and a half of refusing to talk to me, all of a sudden they've decided that. Um, they're going to talk to me again. Now, I came to understand later that certain things that they had wanted to move forward in terms of the investigation, um, which they wanted to make sure didn't leak, um, had happened during that time frame. So I think there was a strategic reason why they froze us, me, out for that year and a half. But it was very interesting. And then after that, everything was fine. They were like, oh, I, they literally said, oh, it's so great to hear from you. And we're like, 
Yeah, where the heck have you guys been <laughs> for the last year and a half when you refused to talk to us? And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Who do you text at the FBI? Do you text like someone's cell phone? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we talk on the phone um, frequently. And uh, the last couple of years, actually, there's been a shift where they, um, they uh, um, often will reach out to me and they'll ask me to call them as opposed to them calling me. And uh, we, we've had a lot of debates. I mean, they've gotten very weird at times. They were, for a while there, they were obsessed with the idea that I was recording the, the calls with the FBI. And I actually got furious. And people tell me, by the way, that the FBI is not used to being talked to this way, but I don't care. I'm going to say what I think needs to be said. They were obsessed with the idea that I was recording the calls, which I was not. And they, they, they brought it up several times. And then finally I got furious and I actually screamed at, at, at the agent and I said, you know, do not ever ask me that question again. I have never recorded a call with the FBI. I've never recorded a call with anyone without their permission. And I said, and while we're on the subject, and this is the part where the FBI, you know, they ask all the questions, they don't answer the questions. I said, I'm assuming that since 9-11, all phone calls into the FBI are recorded. And you know good and goddamn well they are. And so I said, I've noticed in the last couple of years, you guys usually call, you usually email me or text me and ask me to call your office. And I said, so can I assume that all the phone calls that I make to your office are recorded? They wouldn't answer the question. It was like, why are we not treating each other like adults here? I don't record your phone calls, but you do record mine and I don't care. I'm not very proud of my use of swear words, but and my mom wouldn't be too proud of me for foul language. But other than that, I don't care. Record away. <laughs> Well, I think you just uh, stumbled on a on a marketing uh, gem right there. I, I you said uh, you know good and goddamn well that you're recording. I just saw a T-shirt that says you know good and goddamn well, and then like a record button. <laughs> there you go, a T-shirt idea. There you go. Is it just like because we're podcasters? Like uh, anytime we talk to anyone, everyone assumes we're rolling. This is way before we had mind over. Oh, really? Yeah, mm. this is way before that. And now I have said to them, look, I take notes. I have hundreds of pages of notes from every conversation I've ever had with the FBI. But as I said to them, I couldn't remember all the stuff that you guys have told me over all these years if I didn't write some of it down. And, you know, I, I've had the agent say to me, I can hear the pen on the paper. And it's like, yeah, so <laughs> how am I going to remember all this crap if, you, if I don't write down notes? What they don't like is that they don't like being challenged. And what they don't like is I say, wait a minute, on such and such a date, you told me this. And now here it is six months later, a year later, five years later, whatever. Now you're telling me something different. That's what they don't like. They don't like being called on their BS. I get that. Um, but uh, this case has been, as you mentioned, um, it's been open for a long time. 
DNA has made great strides. Of course, you mentioned David Middleman and and the fabulous work they're doing at Othram Labs. What's going on with with DNA in this case? Well, here's the problem. The FBI Quantico claims to be the finest forensic lab in the world. That may be so, but in terms of technology, they're way behind the private labs. The private labs, like Othram and others, are way ahead of the FBI. And the biggest problem with the FBI lab at Quantico is they are far too small for the job they're being asked to do. And they are completely backlogged. We're finding that when we send evidence in, and I say we, I mean the FBI, sends evidence in to be, in this case, mostly retested because testing has taken place over the last 35 years, we're finding the turnaround can be as long as a year. And I mean, literally a year to get test results. Now, here we are, we're at 35 years and the clock is ticking ever so slowly, but we keep dragging this case out for what seems like forever. But the idea that you're going to send evidence in from the Colonial Parkway murders, one of the four double homicides, to be checked, and it's going to take a year to get results. And then they may have to send more evidence in, and then it's going to take another year. And I'm not kidding. That's the pace at which FBI Quantico is working. And, you know, Congress needs to hear about this and the Department of Justice needs to address this. They need more money. They need to expand their capabilities and they need to reduce their own backlog. It's absolutely horrific what's happening. And then the private labs turn stuff around in six weeks. What's taking 12 months at FBI Quantico? I'm sorry, as a citizen, that's not acceptable. And this is a, a place where we need to put more resources in, in terms of assisting law enforcement. And remember, the FBI, especially the Quantico Lab, isn't just there to work on FBI cases. For many smaller police departments and law enforcement agencies around the country, FBI Quantico is their lab. And so, obviously, cases that are hot, you know, that something's happened that's terrible that happened today needs to be addressed or people's lives are in danger. That obviously is going to take precedence over the Colonial Parkway murders. But the idea that it's going to take a year for a, a cold case at, such as ours to get results is completely unacceptable. And they have to do better than this. Well, you mentioned that awful statistic about 250,000 homicide-related cold cases, right? That's the statistic that you cited, uh, right. unsolved homicide-related cold cases. I mean, that have been documented, that have been cataloged. So there's probably, who knows, 100,000 more that just haven't been uh, documented as such. How does these law enforcement divisions, whether it's uh, the FBI at Quantico or just a simple police department, in a small town in Missouri, how do they get the resources? Because we always hear this, like they just simply don't have the resources. Is it just a problem that is too far gone and, and needs a complete overhauled approach? Well, I, I don't think it's too far gone. It just needs to be addressed. Um, it, I, but it, don't you think it's being addressed by all of this talk that we do? And I'm not saying that the world listens to everything that, you know, the three of us say, but I mean, everyone, everyone's addressed it. Well, uh, but Congress hasn't addressed it. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Okay. And here, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll toss something out here. I, I have this idea. Um, first of all, I come from a military family. I come from a Navy family. I feel very strongly that America's military is far too large. We are spending more money. I think it's the next 13 countries combined. So in other words, all of our so-called adversaries, you know, China, Russia, people that uh, North Korea, you know, countries where we would potentially be in conflict with, we're spending more money 
on America's military than the next 13 countries combined because we're spending an insane amount of money on America's military. I have this idea that why don't we take, let's just say, I'm making this up, 100,000 of our best and brightest from the military and reassign them to permanent positions in law enforcement that would be focused on reducing the backlog of 250,000 cold case homicides. And by the way, I'm not making that figure up. That figures from the Murder Accountability Project um, outside Washington, D.C. So these are their stats, but I, I think they're widely held to be accurate. If we took those 100,000 former military people, many of whom would be interested in transitioning over to law enforcement and had them address, let's say, a 10-year project like the, like the moon landing when we were kids and President Kennedy said we're going to put a man on the moon in 10 years, which we succeeded in doing by 19... Well, Stanley Kubrick succeeded in doing it. Well... Yeah, in a in a in a television studio, it's true. But um, uh, enough. We'll get into paranoid conspiracy theories another time. But uh, if they if their goal was to reduce the backlog of two hundred fifty thousand cold case homicides by half in ten years, that is something that we could do if we put time, attention, and resources into it. And for example if we reassigned 100,000 of our best and brightest from America's military to America's law enforcement, and their job would be to reduce that backlog. Um, and this would be, these would be permanently funded positions. We're, as a country, we're not putting our resources where they need to be, and we need to be addressing things like you know gun violence and 250,000 cold case homicides. There's hundreds of thousands of untested rape kits sitting on law enforcement shelves across the country. This is all part of that. If we made this a national priority, like curing cancer or gun violence or whatever, if you make it a priority, it begins to build on itself. You know, you can see how we've solved hundreds and hundreds of cold cases using investigative genetic genealogy, if we put more resources into those fields, we could really begin to make a dent in the, what I think should be a national scandal. The idea that there are a quarter of a million families who've been impacted by homicides, which are still not solved. I think that if people knew that, they'd be shocked. That's a good idea. It's a tapping into this like well of resources that hasn't been accessed yet. And it reminds me of when the hospitals were short staffed giving vaccines out right at the first wave of the vaccinations. They started reaching out to retired doctors because it was a bunch of retired doctors, like thousands of retired doctors that were more than happy to for free to, to go and administer vaccines because they knew how stressed the system was. So I, I see a total uh, that makes total sense. I, I see this coming together. <laughs> if it was properly supported, I see it coming together in a in a pretty seamless way. I think it could be done. And, you know, obviously my intention when we solve the Colonial Parkway murders and note the optimism, it, my intention is actually to pivot to this larger issue. In other words, if we solve the eight homicides in the Colonial Parkway murders, my intention then is to say, and what do we do about all the rest of them? Because now we've got have to do the mental math there, 250,000 minus eight, <laughs> 299,000 plus uh, homicides that also need to be solved. I think we could actually do something about this, but we need to stop putting money into areas that where we're not seeing any bang for our buck and and move towards a situation where we are actually seeing some some resources and some results from from the uh, expenditures that we all support as taxpayers. Well, I'd vote for you, Bill Thomas. Oh, I'm not, I'm not running when for and where? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with part two with Bill Thomas on Thursday. We get into the Colonial Parkway murders. Thanks a lot for listening.
Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.